0: Welcome to the Blitz with Rob and Chris. We got a great podcast for y'all. We got a special guest. But first, Rob, what would it do?
1: I'm good. I'm good. Down here in Miami. Excited for today's interview. Anybody who knows me knows about my Florida State fandom. And then in specific, more specifically, knows about my, my Jameis Winston fandom. You know, he, he created a, j- a dream season for us uh his, his freshman year um so i'm real excited about the interview today
0: yeah you know for all the lsu talk rob give me all the smack talking i don't think he's on a bandwagon his his florida state fandom is is far greater than my lsu oh
1: bandwagon. i don't know about that i don't <laughs> but my my florida state fandom does go back to casey weldon that's probably about 91 i would say so it goes far back
0: <laughs> for sure well uh let's let's uh bring in a guest man
1: all right so today ladies and gentlemen we have uh, the author uh, of a book that I posted on on our Twitter page, the author of Jameis One of One. Uh, we'll be referring to him uh, as One of One for the remainder of the interview. And the book really covers the, what he refers to as the Winston derangement syndrome. We'll get into what that is a little bit later. Uh, but One of One, how are you doing today?
2: Oh, real good, real good. I'm happy to be here. Okay.
1: Thanks and for we- joining us, man. And we're, we're really happy, really happy to have you, really happy to have you. Um, so first, well, I guess I want to start off is just a little bit um, about, you know, what prompted you to to write this book.
2: Yeah, well, I've been studying quarterbacks for, for decades, um, you know, and I like to follow guys as early as I can, as early on in their careers as I can. Um, Jameis, I didn't really know in high school, but obviously that very first game he ever played. I'm not a Florida State fan, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not really a team fan guy. Um, mm-hmm. I just like following players, studying quarterbacks. And my son and I were we just happened to catch that very first game Jameis played against Pittsburgh. You know, and he started, <laughs> he had one of the greatest starts to a to a you know opening game in, in NCAA history.
1: Was it and, one incomplete know, pass? Was it one incomplete pass or two? I
2: think I think it may be finished with two by the end of the right. game, but right. um Yeah. And, uh, you know, by halftime, you know, my son and I are just kind of looking at each other and and I'm like, you know, this kid has it. You know, I need to follow him. And um, and so, you know, I followed his career. um, But I do that with a lot of guys, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, phenoms, you know, uh, number one overall high school quarterback, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And for anybody that's ever done that, almost all of them flame out. I mean, it's rare that they even get to the NFL. And then if they get to the NFL, they're generally speaking, you know, third stringers and they flame out within a year or two. Um, you know, just looking at the list of like number one overall high school quarterbacks that make it to the NFL, it, it's really, really rare. You know, you're talking over the last couple of years, you've got guys like Max Brown, Christian Hackenberg, Gunnar Keel, Braxton Miller, Philip Sims, Garrett Gilbert. I mean, these are guys people haven't even really heard of. Right, um, right? And yet they were the number one overall high school quarterback coming out. Um, You know, so I follow Jameson, and obviously that very first year, you know, he goes on to to win the Heisman, to win the national title, you know, to lead a game-winning comeback drive and throw a touchdown pass on his 20th birthday, you know, so it, it was kind of obvious, you know, the direction he was headed, so I just had fun kind of following his career, um, and he's, he's just a fascinating study, he's a fascinating study both on the field and off the field, um, so the book kind of came naturally to me because I was sort of compiling stats on him and, and sort of uh, doing player comparisons and stuff like that, you know, that freshman year.
1: So and, and that was actually one of my one of my favorite parts of the book, just because um me and Chris are big you know fans of of college football recruiting, so all of those names that you just tossed out are very familiar to us because we were following them at the time, and until you know I started looking at your book, it never really dawned on me like you just said, how few of those people actually make it to the league and then uh make it to the league with the level of success that james has had and it's it's, it's interesting because. I say the level of success that he's had because I know that from those first two years as a fan who was following him, I think the first time I followed Jameis was the spring game when he threw, he threw a touchdown pass on his first play in the spring game for Florida state when he was competing with Jacob Coker from the job for the job. So when he got to Tampa Bay, I was following his statistics as well. And really Andrew Luck and Cam Newton were the people whose records he was approaching for success in the first year and second year. Um, And and so that brings me to, to my next point, you know, You call it the Jameis Winston uh, derangement syndrome in the book, but I I guess walk us through how you think that um, even prior to the 30 interception season, it didn't appear that he was getting a fair shake or a fair evaluation with regard to the statistics he was putting up in those first two years uh, in Tampa.
2: Oh, sure. I mean, you know, I published the book uh, after his fourth season. So, you know, it, it came out before the 2019 season even happened Mm -hmm. and media and fans still just lost their minds. I mean, Mm -hmm. and and I'm not talking about, I'm talking mainstream media guys, you know, DM me and just lost their minds. Mm -hmm. And to me, Jameis Winston derangement syndrome, it's akin to like the nastiest case of cognitive dissonance you've ever seen, Mm -hmm. where people have been brainwashed by the mainstream media to believe one way about Jameis. And they literally have no clue where he stacks up, you know, when compared to other quarterbacks or, or where he even ranks in certain mm-hmm. statistics. And so when they see my work and when they see, you know, even just my tweets on social media, they, they lose their minds. They, they don't know what to do with it. And it, it conflicts with what they believe. And they have meltdowns. I mean, I have people just cursing me and screaming at me and, you know, getting nasty about my wife, my children. And I mean, it, it's insane. And I I don't know that there's another quarterback in the history of football like that where the media has skewed the narrative so far one way to where almost all fans, especially casuals, they just have no clue, you know, what Jameis has accomplished, where he ranks, none of that stuff. And, And they can't, it's like they can't even handle seeing just accurate factual statistics. I mean, I've had media guys, you know, tell me that, you know, I have bad takes and I'm like, dude, I'm not posting takes. I'm I'm giving you 100% accurate stats. A take is just a subjective opinion. I'm giving you objective facts and you can't handle them. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people with with Jameis Winston derangement syndrome and and a lot of them I feel sorry for because they just believe the lies the media sells. and, And they don't do their own research. They don't have any concept of what, you know, the facts are. They just believe what the talking heads are yapping about, you know, in their segments.
0: And in your opinion, a, like without giving out too much uh, about the book, what do you think is behind the, the media's bias and how they talk about Jamie? you think it's a lot of the off-the-field issues he's had? Or what do you think is the root cause of that? Okay. Um, now,
2: in, in my book, I make a point to never, ever play the race card. Um, mm-hmm. I could have, and people can do that. The reason I don't is because once you do that, basically becomes the only thing anybody will talk about and it it sort of overshadows everything else. Um, but I do think that, you know, there's a component there. However, the media has been on Jameis's case since high school. You know, he, he's been dealing with, with crazy haters and wackos and getting death threats and all that stuff since he was a high school kid. Um, you know, before anything really happened at Florida State, the USA Today was running sensational headlines about, you know, him being held at gunpoint by a cop. They had to retract that. They had to retract that headline uh, because he hadn't done anything wrong. It was it was the squirrel hunting, you know, uh, issue, which wasn't a crime. There was nothing illegal about it whatsoever. Um, you know, and I point that out in my book. So the media likes to have stories. You know, they don't want to do okay, too much okay. in-depth research. You, you watch, you know, some of the, the uh, talking head shows and you see some of the infographics and stuff that they'll, they'll put out there. They're childish. There's not really any research that goes into them other than maybe two seconds staring at, you know, a stat page. And in order to, to be able to do your job and to talk for, you know, 20 minutes on a subject on like some of these shows first taken, etc. They don't know enough to talk about it in depth, so they just spin stories. You know, mm-hmm. They just create mm-hmm. narratives and tell a story to their audience. And to do that, the best way is to have both heroes and villains. And the media <laughs> sure. sets people up as heroes and villains. You know, Malcolm X talked about that, about how you know the media has the power to make a guilty man innocent and an innocent man guilty. They control the minds of the masses. And that really is what they do, and that is sort of their job, is to spin a story. And I think the media early on decided that Jameis was a villain and he played the villain part. And they've just kind of doubled down on that over the years. Um, And it's just a snowball effect because you see other media that they just sort of puppy dog and parrot the rest of the media. And I've got guys at ESPN and Fox and stuff that DM me and they know what's going on. They know that Jameis is the most slighted and slandered quarterback in the NFL, but they're not going to rock the boat. They're not going to be – they're not going to pull a one-of-one and have everybody calling them insane.
1: (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I follow you on Twitter, obviously, and so I've seen some of those back and forth, which which get pretty intense. I mean, people have developed a strong hate uh, for Jameis Winston that isn't easily, you know, broken down. I, you know, as an attorney and a fan of Florida State, tended to go read every report, police report, if available, on any of the incidents that were, you know, referred to um, as something he was involved in, and you quickly saw like how mountains were made out of molehills for a lot of those different events. I thought that was one of the things that was really good about your book is that it kind of went through each incident one by one um, and gave a unbiased narrative as to, you know how we arrived at where we are with, you know all these little events being kind of stacked up to to make it appear as if he was just this bad apple. Um, I I think it was Thomas Morsted who was recently interviewed or, or, or even on his Twitter, he was just referring to how he worked out with Jameis every morning and he came in with a negative narrative in his mind based on what he saw in the media and basically said he realized that this was just a a fun loving guy, right? Who just was kind of, he was like, can he really be this goofy? He's like, it turned out that he really was. He was just kind of goofy and fun loving, fun to be around. And he said he totally changed uh, my mind about him from what I had heard in the narrative. My question to you is, um, do you think that Jameis Winston uh, can can get that second act, shed that that narrative that's been created. I mean, we've seen other athletes in, in in life be able to do it. Mike Tyson, for example, comes to the front of my mind. But do you think that um, Jameis Winston will be afforded that opportunity?
2: I mean, I mean, I hope so. And, and I will say that the media, you know, like I said, they like to have villains and heroes. They also love to build players up, tear them down, and then build them back up again. And it always kind of drives me crazy because they'll literally take credit, <laughs> you know, for mm-hmm. the player then starring, you know, or the player then mm-hmm. then uh, progressing. They'll tear them down. They'll say they're nothing, and then when the player starts having good years, they'll credit themselves. You know, Shaq is one of my favorite basketball players of all time, but he tried to do that a little bit just with the Donovan Mitchell thing. Oh yeah, oh, you know, yeah. take credit yeah. for for Mitchell playing good, and then people put out the stats and show Donovan's playing exactly as he always played.
1: Right, and uh, Rudy really Gobert.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and so. You know, with Jameis, I think the uh, the media hate runs deep. Um, you know, and it's not just for him; it, it, it's for his dad. Um, you know, they kind of silenced him early on. It, there's there's just there's a lot that goes goes in with, with Jameis Winston. But I will say, like I said, you know, I've I've talked to guys at uh, guys and gals at at Fox Sports, at ESPN, and there are a lot of them that know what's happening. There are a lot of them that kind of would like to tell you know the positive side. Um, And there's some that have done it, you know, uh, Deanna, Michael Vick, you know, they they both like Jameis. Um, Emmanuel Acho is a guy who definitely knows what's going on. You know, he's at a networking, I don't know how much he can say, but he definitely knows what's going on. And there's quite a few of them. Um, So a lot of it will come down to how Jameis plays, you know, the off the field stuff, though. I don't know that there's ever going to be something Jameis can do, to where you right. know the media that are that are sort of emotionally invested in hating him are ever going to flip, because you know in Tampa, I mean, he does a ton of charity work. He blessed a ton of schools down there. He he started a COVID hotline, and the morning after uh Get Up, the ESPN show ran a segment bashing him. He just started the COVID hotline. They used the segment to bash Jameis Winston and basically say he was stupid. I mean, like like what? So. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm hopeful that he's now with with the Saints. I, I think they are a more respected organization league wide. I mean, maybe not right at the very moment since the Bucks won the Super Bowl, but coming in, Tampa was more of a small market, ignored team. I'm hopeful that you know now that he's with the Saints there will be sort of a a, a hands off approach. You know, let's not just crush Jameis in the media, and and they'll give him a chance. But um, I mean, the ball's in their court, so to speak, as far as how they're going to handle that. I still can't hear you, Rob. Can you hear me now? Yes, yes.
1: Okay. Yeah, we want to get more into the the football aspect. Uh, you know, obviously, Saints fans listen to the podcast. Can you tell people what makes Jameis Winston special at the quarterback position as opposed to other quarterbacks?
2: Oh, sure. Um. You know, there's a there's a, a lot of different quarterbacks that can do, you know, some of what Jameis can do. Um, the things that sort of make him hated and underrated, though, as a player, those are the exact same things that kind of make him special as a player. And what I mean by that is is sort of his otherworldly confidence in his athletic ability, his arm Um and his never say die attitude, you know. Uh, I studied Brett Favre, you know, the entirety of his career. Basically, just loved everything about that guy. And Jameis is like Favre 2.0. And you know, really, both both on and off the field. I, I sometimes wonder, you know, what Favre's legacy would be, how he'd be viewed at, uh, by the media if he had played in the age of social media. Because Brett would have been crushed. I mean, Twitter would have just been calling him the worst quarterback in the NFL on the regular. You know, and Jameis, he plays just like farm, you know, he, he throughout his first five years in Tampa, anyways, you know, he tried to make every play work, you know, whether it was busted, whether, you know, he had blitzers coming at him, whether the offensive line didn't pick people up, it didn't matter. He was going to try to make every play work. Um, And I respect that about him, but of course, you know, it leads to turnovers and it, it leads to, you know, big gaps and stuff like that. And the Manning boys, you know, Peyton and, and Eli they could never pull off the plays as Jameis pulls off. I mean, go back and watch that that play against the Bears where, you know, he runs basically backwards 25 yards in his end zone then comes back out 15 yards of eights, like six different dudes, and then throws like a perfect 50-yard bomb to, to Mike Evans. You know, there's not many quarterbacks that could pull that off at all. I, I don't think Mahomes would pull it off. Uh, you know, Michael Vick probably could, but he, he wouldn't have even have attempted that. Um, but with the Manning boys – you know they don't have that kind of natural ability to do something like that, or or probably a hundred other plays I could show you that Jameis has pulled off, but they were, they were they were taught you know from childhood I think to preserve their careers, and it's it's actually one of the coolest things I think they did is that you know when they were about to get sacked they just crumpled like they've just had their their legs cut off, you know they just fall to the ground immediately, and that that helped them both you know have really really long and successful careers, so Jameis is an elite. Hall of Fame talent. He has, I mean, Sean Payton has spoken on this. Every coach he's ever had has. He has the elite, you know, level arm talent. He has elite athleticism from the quarterback position, uh, even though a lot of fans don't realize that. You know, in 2019, he tied with Russell Wilson for third in the NFL in yards per scramble for quarterbacks with 30 scrambles. I mean, Jameis, he can move. In high school, he was a dual threat quarterback, you know, and his highlights look like Vince Young. So he has all the talent necessary to be an all-time great. Now, whether that happens, who knows? That, that, that has more to do with system and situation than anything else. And, and we see that all the time with quarterbacks. You know, a, a very talented quarterback lands in the wrong situation, and, and they kind of flame out. And then you got a guy who's nowhere near as talented, but he's in the right situation with the right system, and he pans out. Um, I mean it's it's a shock to see to think that you know a guy like Trent Dilfer has a Super Bowl ring and Marino and Darkington and all these guys put together, Hall of Famers don't have one.
0: talking more about that, what can you talk a little bit about what you think went wrong in Tampa? What was it system? Was it the fact he had, you know? Uh, Lovey Smith, and they got rid of him after one year, and gave the gave the reins to the offensive coordinator. Um, just talk a little bit about his experience in Tampa, and what you think went wrong there.
2: I mean, there's a lot of little, you know, little things that could be mentioned that sort of all kind of compile into to what happened. But really, the very simple answer, like like a one line answer, and it's true, is it simply took Jason Light seven years to build a top to bottom roster, a, a complete football team. You know, and he only had Jameis for five years. That That's really all it boils down to is it, it took Jason Light seven years to build a complete football team, and Jameis was only there five years. And so, you know, Jameis leaves, and they – they I mean, they loaded up, and they basically got a, a super team this year. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of people will say, well, yeah, but, you know, that proves this and that. You, you go back even to, say, college, and we were just talking about Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning spent four years at the University of Tennessee. He never could even beat Florida one time, let alone, you know, win a title. The year he left, he was replaced by T. Martin, a guy most people have never heard of. Friend a man. Man. Yeah, and T. Martin led Tennessee to a perfect season and the national title. Now, does that mean that, you know, T. Martin is is what Tennessee was missing and that, that Peyton Manning was the cancer on Tennessee for four years? Of course not. It simply means that they finally had a complete football team. And, you know, that, that is the exact same thing, you know, with Tampa. When you look at what Jameis had for the five years he was there, they were 30th in yards per carry over the five-year span, 31st in first down percentage on rushes, 25th in rushing touchdowns, 24th in rushing yards per game, 31st in points allowed, 31st in opposer passer rating, 25th in scrimmage yards allowed. I mean, they were a terrible football team. There's no quarterback that's gonna win in that situation. None. And I, I you know I say this all the time on Twitter. I defy anybody to find any quarterback in the entire history of football, especially a young quarterback that won with that situation. It doesn't happen.
1: Yeah, I mean, we can just go down the line, right? You know, they they add Tristan Wirts at the right tackle. Ronald Jones was was backing up Peyton Barber, I believe. And and so you see his emergence plus the addition of Leonard Fournette, who was big for them in the playoffs. You add Antonio Brown, potentially Hall of Fame wide receiver in the slot um, to go with, with Godwin and Evans. Um, and then, like you talked about the defense. I mean, as Saints fans, we watched us annihilate their secondary um, the last couple of years. They add Antoine Winfield, the pass rush, you know, steps up and all of a sudden – you know, these cornerbacks and safeties mature and the defense looks a lot better. The field goal situation, the kicker situation, right? They, they lost probably two or three games on a seven and nine season just off a of missed field goal. So that there was, there was a lot of change over turnover in that roster. Um, and I don't think that, you know, people, you know, give nearly enough analysis. It's, it's just kind of lazy in my opinion, and sloppy to, to say Brady was the change. I mean, realistically, Jameis had a better season, um, in most categories, uh, than Tom Brady, other than the turnovers, which has a lot to do with your ability to run the ball and protect the quarterback. So,
0: But also to one of one's, you know, points in his book, uh, and overall like narr- narrative of Jameis career, I think it points to just the media painting that narrative, right? Like mm-hmm. you swap out Jameis for, for Tom Brady and you win a championship and they don't, they don't analyze the additions, the addition of Gronk, mm-hmm. um, the money invested on the offensive line, you know? So, the changing of the offensive scheme.
1: Right. So I guess my next question is, you know, having watched the Saints a little bit this year with Jameis on the roster, what do you think that uh, Jameis Winston can do with this Saints roster? Do you think that he could uh, make a Super Bowl run with the team that obviously, you know, was was leading Tampa, driving down the field, you know, to potentially – Solidify the the victory, and then Tampa goes on to win the Super Bowl. Do you think that you know Jameis puts them in a situation uh, where they could potentially be Super Bowl contenders with him at quarterback?
2: Contenders, yes. Um, you know, I, I would never bet on a, a, a team you know winning the title just simply because it's so hard. You know, like I said, Trent Dilfer has one more Super Bowl ring than Marino, Fouts, Moon, Kelly, and Tarkington all put together. So, mm-hmm. you know, and Drew. Drew is a first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't think anybody would argue with that, you know. But in the last eleven years, you know, he only had five playoff wins and never even got to the Super Bowl. So I will say, you know, what Jameis suffers from also is high expectations, you know. And it's funny because the same media that will kind of trash him and and sort of pretend that he's this terrible quarterback, they also believe he has the talent to be like an MVP and that's why they trash him so hard because the stuff that Jameis will do and the, the, the stats he's put up, the records he set any other quarterback doing that would get praised by the media, but the media actually expects even more from Jameis. And so I actually think, you know, even if the saints uh, advance to the NFC title game next year and have a better year than they had last year, the media will still find a way to spin it, that it was Jameis that held them back. <laughs> it really never ends with, with some of the people in the media. Um, but I will say, you know, I love Drew all year long. You know, I was saying, because there was a lot of people, even even some guys in the media and uh, and some girls, Mina Kimes, for example, you know, they were kind of calling for Drew to be benched and for Jameis to put in. And they were always pointing out the air yard stats and stuff like that. It, it, you know, I mean, I understand where they're coming from. But all year long, I was saying, you don't bench Drew. You, this is, he's the, the greatest saint in history. You know, He means so much to the city. He deserves to go out on his own terms, but I also said that the situation felt a lot like Kansas City Mahomes rookie year, where Alex Smith had been their guy for years. He actually was in the MVP race. He had them playing good football, and yet the team, the coach, everybody knew, yo, this kid on the bench, he's different. He can do stuff Alex Smith can't do. And you know, what would have happened had Breeze, you know, after Jameis threw the touchdown pass against the Bucks to give them the lead? Had he stayed in there? I don't know. Because you you can't defend Jameis the way you defend Drew. And yeah. I think the, the issue with the Saints this year was they played offense in a phone booth. And, and what I mean by that is, you, you know, just watch the tape. Everything was short. And not just distance, but vertically. Every I mean, not just vertically, but horizontally. Everything was short. Everything was compacted. They were playing offense in a phone booth. And that's easy to to defend. The Saints got their points off basically genius schemes by Sean Payton scheming people open. Um, but with Jameis, you have to defend every inch of the field. He can hit you for a 50-60 yard pass anywhere at any time, and he's also athletic enough to get away if you if you get to the quarterback. So I think he makes the Saints immediately a much more dynamic offense. Now he doesn't know the system the way Drew does, and he probably never will. You know, Drew knew that like the back of his hand. So. Uh, we'll have to see what happens, but I definitely don't – I'm not worried the Saints take some massive step back at all. I think their offense will be more dynamic. And if they – you know, with the salary cap issue, if they can keep the defense and the offensive line together uh, and not lose a bunch of pieces, um, I definitely expect them to be, to be in the hunt once again next year.
0: Definitely. Now, there was a lot of talk about, you know, Saints trying to make a move for Matt Stafford. Uh, a lot, At least a lot of fans down in New Orleans were kind of clamoring for it. I heard you talk on other podcasts and other radio stations about like Jameis versus Matt Stafford. Could you give us a little insight into, um, you know, the comparison between the two and, and who you think um, the Saints would be better off with? Sure, sure.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say uh, I love, 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 love Matt Stafford. Um, I've been, you know, defending and kind of praising and promoting that kid since he was a Georgia Bulldog. Um, he, to me, he kind of is like white Jameis and Jameis is like black Matt. Um, they're, they're sort of the same quarterback, you know, and the two of them are really the only true phenoms. Well, now Trevor Lawrence says, of course, but they're really the only two true, true phenoms in the NFL. You know, Matt was a number one quarterback coming out of high school. Uh, Matt was a number one overall NFL pick. Now, Jameis, of course, he's the only guy in the history of football to be a number one high school quarterback, a Heisman winner, a national title winner, and a number one pick. You know, let alone to also be an NFL passing champ. I mean, there there's nobody in the history of football that has that resume that Jameis has. But Matt Stafford, you know, as far as talent, arm talent, all the rest, he's right there. I think I think it was Larry Elder from the Athletic or um, I think so that that was talking about how, you know, the Saints viewed Matt. Stafford and Jameis Winston as the same dude, but that Matt had reached his ceiling and Jameis could still get much, much, much better. And I think that's very accurate that you know, Sean Payton and Mickey Loomis, I think they do look at those quarterbacks just like I do. They're the same dude, but Jameis actually has more upside. He, he is a bit more talented. Um, and for fans, they kind of freak out about that. I mean, there, there's even some media guys in New Orleans that, that I really get along well with. And they were talking about how Stafford's just on a totally different level than Jameis, and I can't even imagine thinking Jameis is as good as Matt. I don't know what they're looking at. I don't know what tape they're watching. I don't know what stats they're looking at. They're the same dude. And um, so I think the Saints were smart not to trade for Matt when you can sign Jameis without losing draft picks. I mean, I, th- I think that would have been a really stupid decision to to give up, you know, picks when you got Jameis that you don't have to give up picks for
1: so I, I guess my next question is, you kind of touched on the this this potential salary cap issue for the Saints, um, and I, you talked to me a little bit off the pod about the market for James Winston and some other teams that you um, think, you know, may be interested. Um, could you talk to us a little bit about uh, those teams and then of those teams, you know, kind of what you think is his best option, best option football-wise, I mean?
2: Yeah. um, Outside of the Saints, I think there's six teams that would would have interest. Um, All of them, of course, have more salary cap than the Saints. Everybody has more salary cap than the Saints. Um, Those would be the Broncos, you know, and it's rumored they're, they're trying to get Deshaun Watson. I just don't think they have enough to go get Deshaun. The Carolina Panthers, also in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. I don't think they have enough to get Deshaun. The 49ers. You know, there, there's rumors they could try to, to uh, trade Jimmy G and go get Kirk Cousins. Jameis is a massive uh, talent upgrade from Kirk Cousins. Although, you know, Kirk's an efficient quarterback. Um, the New England Patriots, who just flat out need a quarterback. Washington football team, again, who just flat out need a quarterback. And the Chicago Bears, who just flat out need a quarterback. So all six of those teams need sort of a new QB1 the 49ers are the one team. They don't necessarily need it. They can, they can run it back with Jimmy and, and see what happens. Um, but all six of those teams, I expect, would would come calling uh, if Jameis and, and Sean and Mickey don't have a uh, a deal lined up. As far as, like, who would be the best fit, um, honestly, that, that's Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh wanted Jameis desperately last offseason. They offered him more than New Orleans. They tried to convince him that that would be the situation for him. And basically, Jameis said thanks, but no thanks you know, and and chose New Orleans. I really think that kind of behind the scenes, Pittsburgh is sort of trying to push big Ben to retire that, that their cap situation is also a mess. And big Ben, I think counts 41.25 million against the cap this year. Correct. So, you know, if they can cut him, they save 19 million. Juju's up for a free agency. They've got a bunch of Bud Dupree. They've got a bunch of guys. So I really think Pittsburgh's trying to nudge Ben into retirement. And if Ben retires, Pittsburgh's the one team that I think would have the best chance of getting Jameis out of New Orleans. They expressed interest last offseason. They're a great run franchise. They've got an awesome coach. They've got playmakers there. They've got weapons. They're the one I think that, that should worry the saints uh, organization more than any other. But again, you know, all six of the teams I mentioned, not including the Steelers, um, they all have more money to spend. So we have the saints. They need to kind of come correct in, uh, in contract negotiations.
1: And what are your thoughts as to why he chose uh, New Orleans over Pittsburgh? I, I know that I think somebody in Pittsburgh tried to say after the fact james Jameis said that Pittsburgh had shown interest. I think somebody in Pittsburgh said that they hadn't shown interest. Um, do you think it had something to do with the fact that it was widely speculated that Drew would be retiring and, and nobody really knows what Big Ben's going to do?
2: That's part of it. That's part of it. Um, another part of it is Drew is Drew and Ben is Ben, um, and I, I don't mean to I don't mean to insult Ben or anything like that. He's he's also one of my favorite quarterbacks of all time, but Drew's just a he's a different dude. Jameis had a, a bit of a connection before he came there. Um, you know, Jameis tells the story about how the first autograph Drew Brees ever signed as a member of the New Orleans Saints he signed it for Jameis Winston, who was just a little kid. He came into to where Drew was having rehab done after surgery and Drew signed his first autograph and Jameis then had surgery and was rehabbing after the 2019 offseason in the exact same facility. It, it, it's a cool story. It's kind of like a, you know, kind of like a, a divine appointment type thing. Mm-hmm. So I think there was a connection there. Um, I think Jameis has had a little bit of a connection with Sean Payton for a while. You know, Payton tells the story about how he was standing right behind Jameis during his pro day and Payton's actually marveled at Jameis's talent for, for years. Um, on top of that, you know, uh, Louisiana is where Jameis's wife is from. It's it, the, the Saints are still in the exact same division he's comfortable with. They get to play Tampa twice a year. I think it, it was kind of a perfect storm for him, even though he could have gotten a lot more money and an immediate QB1 spot in Jacksonville and you know probably had another 4,500 yard plus season and put up numbers. It's a, that was a bad team in a bad situation. They're basically tanking. So I think Jameis made the right decision to sign with the saints over the Steelers or any other team. Um, and, I, and I talked about that like two weeks before he signed there, I, I did an interview and I said, you know, look for, look for the saints. Uh, that's a, that's a great situation for him. So I'm, I'm really happy that he ended up there. I'm happy he's with Peyton um, and we'll see what happens.
0: One of one. Do you think Jameis can change the narrative in New Orleans? If he, you know, maybe not wins a Super Bowl, but just becomes a, consistent winner taking a team to the playoffs uh, over the next couple of seasons. Do you think that media bias that, that the general narrative around him and his career can be altered?
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the old saying winning cures all it, it, it's true in a way. Um, I mean, there's, there's certain exceptions to that rule. There's some guys in the NBA the NFL and stuff that have won at high levels that the media sort of never got behind. But um as far as the, the New Orleans fans and media, you know, the fans I think are already kind of behind James. I, I don't really see too many fans that, that aren't excited at the, uh, the potential of a Jameis Winston led offense. You know, I think they, they know what he can do. And even a lot of the media guys that I've talked to, I, I haven't really run into any that are in, uh, in and around the saints that are totally off Jameis. So, but yeah, I mean, you know, if, if he goes out there and, and he has another 5,000 yard season, but they go four and 12, <laughs> you know, the media is definitely not going to give him any credit and they're going to, they're going to look to bash him uh, on the flip side. If he actually has kind of a down year for him statistically. And I mean, Jameis is a guy who, who throws for 300 in his sleep. You know, people will say, well, mm-hmm. they'll point at his, his yards per game. You know, a couple of those games, you know, he only played like a quarter. He got hurt. It was the, um uh, he got, he got nailed in, in his uh, third season there and, and suffered a nasty shoulder injury. Uh, and then last year, you know, Peyton put him in a couple of times just to sort of mess around and fool around at the end of games. And that all drops your, your numbers. But Jameis is the guy that throws for 300 a game in his sleep. But if next year, you know, his his numbers are down, but the team's great. The team goes, you know, 12-5 and, and and makes a playoff run. I think the narrative will change. I mean, it's tough to tell. Like I said, there's a lot of media that are emotionally invested in being against Jameis and they just continue to double down and double down and double down in the hopes that at some point he'll be out of the NFL and they'll get to say, see, I was right. Well, they're not right. You know, the kid won Pepsi rookie of the year and had the greatest 21 year old quarterback season ever. He's the only quarterback to ever start a career with back-to-back 4,000 yard seasons. He led the NFL in 300 yard games in his third year, even though he missed five games, parts of five games with a shoulder injury in 2018. He's the only quarterback He's actually the only quarterback since being drafted in the NFL to finish top five in Rock QBR, which is probably the best quarterback set out there, other than Drew Brees on a losing team. You know, and then last year he throws for 5,109 yards. There's only four quarterbacks in the history of football to throw for more than that, and they're all guaranteed first ballot Hall of Famers. Brady, Manning, Big Ben, and um, and Brees. So Jameis has already exceeded expectations for most you know, logical, sensible people. So if the media is waiting and doubling down and, and just waiting to say, I was right. Jameis sucked. Well, they already missed that boat. They're already wrong.
1: So, I mean, just kind of wrapping it up. We're talking about a guy who was the number one overall high school player, right? He then goes to college as a red shirt, freshman, th- throws basically almost a perfect game in his first game, touchdown pass in his first spring pass, wins the Heisman in the national championship in his first year there. Then he goes on to be the number one overall pick. He goes on to be the rookie of the year after being the number one overall pick. And he makes a Pro Bowl. And when you talk about the Jameis Winston derangement syndrome, I think it's no clearer than you rattle off those stats, but what he's actually known for is crab legs and, you know, the interceptions, the 30 interceptions. And, And so I think that, you know, the best part, I think, about your book was the the fact that it kind of dissected all these different elements. And my hope is just that he comes into the Saints. I think that he's, you know, easily a 4,200 yards, 25 touchdowns, 15 interceptions guy. I think he does that in his sleep, like you said. I think if he gets the 15 interceptions under 10 and still keeps the 25, 30 touchdowns and goes over 4,000, you know, I think we're looking at, as Saints fans, I think we're looking at an NFC championship. Bert. That's just my opinion on it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I like it. I like it. Um, I'll probably do a, a, a stat projection at some point before the year when I when I really kind of crunch all the numbers and everything. Um, I did that a little bit. You know what a, a second year in Tampa would have looked like. Uh, I, I did kind of a, an advanced metrics projection on how Brady's twenty twenty would go compared to Jameis's twenty nineteen, and I pretty much hit all that dead on per- perfectly. Um, so I, I do like to do that. Um, you know, and with the with the schedule now being seventeen games that's also really interesting because it wouldn't shock me to see Jameis break the all-time record in passing yards of the season. I mean, with that extra game, I mean, like, I, I if it was only 16 games, I could see him hitting 5K again. Now with it 17 games, I think there's a there's a shot he does it. Um, you know, there, there's there's talk that the Saints may look to, to bring in another vertical threat at receiver. Um, you know, Cam Jordan calling Jameis, uh, what, Uptown pork choppers, <laughs> uptown pork chopper. Um, <laughs> uh, You know, Jameis likes to air it out, and uh, and he can do it. Um, you know, and their offense recently has you know been more built around you know yards after the catch and the short stuff. Um, and Jameis will take some some big time shots. So yeah, I'm excited to to see what the future holds. If if, if of course
0: you know he, he ends up uh, staying. One on one, you got me itching to go make a bet now, uh, Jameis. <laughs> Leading the league in passing yards next year. Um,
2: yeah, I, I know some guys who made some good money on uh, on betting for on him to win the uh, the 2019 passing crown, and, and he definitely delivered for him.
0: That's what I'm saying, man. Might might go make me a little money right there. Um, quick question I have for you: Coming into this 2021 season, in your opinion, where does where does Jameis rank in in quarterbacks? You know, like I'm just talking top 32. Like, is he a top 10 guy in your opinion? Top 15? Well. When,
2: when you say that, you know, with him not being on a team at the moment and stuff like that, um, system and situation plays into that a lot. So, you know, with it, without him being on a team, it's it's hard to rank as far as, like, where he would be. Um, if he stays in, in New Orleans, I, I think that he can easily have a top five season. If he ends up signing with Washington, <laughs> you know, that, it's, it's just an entirely different situation. The stats would look totally different. Um, the way they're going to play is different, but just from a talent perspective, there is not five quarterbacks in the NFL more talented than Jameis. There's just there's just not, and I mean there's even media guys who hate Jameis that will admit that, you know, and, and a lot of them will will do so in sort of a derogatory way and in an insulting way. They'll say, "Well, good Jameis is elite, good Jameis is MVP level, but bad Jameis is really bad." You know that that's how they'll frame it. Um, but, you know, just look into that, you know, they're framing it that way because they do believe that Jameis playing at his peak is elite elite. Um, and I don't really think there's anybody that, that would disagree with that. You know, Kurt Warner studied Jameis's tape more so than probably almost all media. And he said, you know, he makes more and better throws and reads than 90% of the quarterbacks in the NFL. You know, Kurt knows what he's talking about. So Jameis is easily a top five talent guy. Now, it's just, it really just depends on what situation and what system you get into. Um, Josh Allen is, is a guy like that. And same, same with Justin Herbert. And these are two guys that I kind of raved about going into the draft. And people kind of got, got mad at me. I got some nasty DMs when, when I did a, a pre-draft interview. And I said, Justin Herbert, I, I think I used the exact words, is infinitely more talented than Joe Burrow. And people got really mad at me. Well, they all know I'm right now because he is, he's infinitely more talented. That doesn't mean he's going to be better. It doesn't mean he'll have the better career, but it does mean he has more talent. And if you give a talented quarterback with a, with a good work ethic, like Jameis, a proper situation system and coaching staff, the sky's the limit. If you just hand him the ball and say, go win a shootout kid. And and we're not going to give you a run game. Well then, you know, he can struggle. So, I really I do kinda hope he stays uh with the Saints and with Peyton. Um because I think he can have he can have you know a great career there. Uh if he goes elsewhere, I'm sure he can put up some numbers and stuff, but yeah, so cool.
0: cool. Uh, uh I I have one last question around just your your best our favorite Jameis story and what I mean by that is you know you talked about following his career from high school all the way up into the pros is there you know one drive one play uh one comeback victory that that kind of epitomizes you know the greatness of Jameis Winston to you that's a good question um Okay. Okay.
2: The way, the way you frame that question, I'll actually answer kind of like two things that kind of sum up James to me. Uh, the first one is that bears play. And for anybody who hasn't seen it, or even for anybody who's only seen it 10 times, go watch it in the 11th. That play to me is the greatest single play in NFL history. And, and I'm, I honestly believe that it isn't the most important play. You know, it was done in the regular season, not a Super Bowl or a playoffs. It isn't, you know, the most precise play. It, you know, any of that. But to me, it's the one play in the history of the NFL that looks like Tech Mobile. You know, I guess a lot of people, you know, they only play Madden, but some of the old heads will know Tech Mobile, what that is, that video game. That play, that play literally looks like Tech Mobile, and Jameis pulled it off, where he evaded like six different rushers. He ran backwards like twenty-five yards into the end zone came back out of the end zone and then throws this perfect 50 yard bomb to Mike Evans. It's a play that most quarterbacks would never even try to do. They, they, they just wouldn't that that's not their mental makeup. They're not even going to try to do that They're not they're, because they don't think it's possible. Um, Kyle Shanahan had a great quote talking about Jameis one time. And he said that, you know, when you watch the tape on Jameis, he does things that coaches don't even think are possible. And, I would say that Jameis does things that players don't even think are possible, and he'll actually try to do them. Where Now, sometimes that can get him in a world of trouble, of course, but he'll actually try to do them, and Favre was that way, where he'll try to do things that you really probably shouldn't try to do, but then when they work out, you're just like, holy cow, what did I just watch? So I would say that Bears play sort of sums up the whole Jameis Winston experience. His heart his tenacity, his desire, mixed with his talent, mixed with his his kind of wildness, you know. Um, that play also with the I, I believe it was the twenty let me think. It was either the twenty seven I think it was the twenty seventeen season, the last game. And it was against the Saints. And the the Bucks had nothing to play for. They were actually kind of in tank mode, getting ready for the offseason in the draft. Um, they were out of the playoff picture. Against and
1: Portland,
2: FBI. Oh, okay. I'm hearing some yes, background. Right? Okay. Um, so the Bucks had nothing to play for last game of the season, and the Saints actually were playing for playoffs uh, seating. And the Bucks went into uh, to what it was the Mercedes Benz or whatever, and they were down, and I think they were like 90 yards away. And Jameis pulled off he was the only quarterback I think in like the last 15 years or whatever to pull off a game-winning drive 90 yards away with under a minute to go. And what is cool about that is that the last play of the game, Dirk Cutter told Jameis to check down. And he wanted to set up a long field goal. Well, what is Jameis Winston used to in Tampa? Missed field goals. Their field goal kickers were terrible for five years. They drafted two of them, and neither one of them even made it to their second season. I mean, it was, it was just a, a nightmare. So Jameis completely ignored the coach's call, and he he looked over at Godwin, gave him a wink, and Godwin went deep, and Jameis threw a bomb to win the game. Right corner of the end zone, that actually affected the Saints' playoff seeding, and the Bucs got the win. So I think those two situations put together are kind of like the, the perfect Jameis experience.
1: Yeah, I think even Sean Payton uh, referenced that play in, in an interview one time. It's just, you know— kind of being at a point when you recognize like th- this kid's got this never say die attitude basically
2: yeah yeah
1: But well, we want to thank you for coming on uh, it's been a great interview uh hope everybody in- enjoys the listen um and just uh let the people know where they can find your book and any other interviews um that you got going on or any other you know statistics that you're going to post where they can find all that stuff
2: Oh, sure. Um, my book, if if you want the paperback, just go to Amazon. Uh, the ebook is pretty much everywhere. Uh, Apple and Barnes and Noble and all that stuff. Um, I actually tell people, you know, even though I make a little more money off the ebook, I actually suggest the paperback because it has the full name index, you know, and which uh, ebooks don't really allow because they don't use page numbers. So the paper book is actually better. Um, it's over 400 pages. It's a monster, but it's better. Uh, And then as far as just following me, just go to Twitter, at Jameis1of1. I mean, I love to debate. I love to engage, love to interact. My DMs are always open. I have a lot of really good conversations and DMs that I don't have um, publicly. And a lot of that is because, you know, people have sort of sincere thoughts on Jameis and stuff that they don't really want to put out in the public. So I'd encourage anybody to go ahead and DM me or or just follow me on Twitter, at Jameis1of1. And as far as interviews, I'm I'm always around. Um, I have another one in a couple hours with Sean Fox there in, in uh, Louisiana. Um,
0: so yeah, I'm always around. <laughs> cool, man. Well, thanks a lot, one on one. We really appreciate the time. Uh, and we'll be in touch, man. We want to follow up with you once uh James hits the field next season and uh does some damage.
1: Hopefully, it's Absolutely. in the Saints. Hopefully, it's in the Saints uniform.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I I hope so too. I mean I just wanna see uh I just wanna see him wherever God wants him, but but uh I'll be I'll be happy if he stays with the Saints.
0: Definitely, man. Thanks a lot. Well thanks a lot, one on
2: one. Yep, you guys have a great day.
0: You too, man.